Hey, and welcome back to the MTB Fitness Podcast. On today's episode, I'm talking to Chris Kilmerry. Now, Chris is a strength and conditioning coach. He works with athletes like Tani Seagrave, Chaos Seagrave, um, Greg Callahan, loads of pro mountain bikers, and he's just a really, really interesting guy. He does a proper intro about who he is and everything when we get into the episode like normal. Um, so other than that, I'm just going to jump straight into the episode today. So I hope you have a great one. Chris is a fascinating guy. Enjoy the podcast. Hey podcast, so today I'm talking to Chris Kilmurray. Chris owns a company called Point One Athletic. He's a coach to push bike racing athletes, rather, can't get my words out, to push bike racing athletes and has trained or is currently training racers like Tiny Seagrave, KL Seagrave, Greg Callahan, and loads more. He's going to tell us all about it on the podcast. Um, so thanks so much for coming on, Chris. You're welcome. So before we hit recording, you were just saying that you moved out to Morzine, didn't you, about six years ago? So I'm very jealous. <laughs> no, more more than that, almost double that now, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah, nearly twelve. I think now this will be living here full time. This will be year ten or eleven this this summer. Yeah. What? There you go. So you're from Ireland originally, weren't you? Yep. Originally, still Irish. Yeah. <laughs> the accent. The accent gives it away. You've yeah, not got yeah. French accent yet. <laughs> I can try, but it's not. It's not the best. <laughs> can you speak fluent French? Yeah, I can. I can speak. I well, I don't know what fluent actually means, but depending on the situation, <laughs> I'm fluent. Depending on the context. Did you know it before you moved out there, or did you learn it when you moved uh, out? I just learned it from from living here. Yeah, working different kind of jobs when I moved here first, and just having no choice really, just being immersed in a bit of local life really so yeah. you can imagine up. yeah i can imagine being surrounded by a language that's the probably the best way to learn it isn't it you just don't have a choice other than to soak it in day in day out I think it's like the only way i think it's if you compare it to learning how to ride your bike better no one's going to learn how to ride a, a mountain bike in a classroom so learning yeah. french in a classroom just isn't going to work yeah that's so true so tell us, it'd be great for the people listening, tell us a little bit more about your background, so how you ended up coaching athletes, I know you do quite a bit of racing yourself, how you ended up in Morzine and just uh, yeah, the past few years of your life really. I suppose, yeah, a good typical failed racer story maybe, more than anything else. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I started racing I think 1999 was my first race, Yeah. There, thereabouts, Irish champs, rigid bike, V-brakes, that cable snapped on and did most of the race run with both feet on the ground, tripoding or quad potting, whatever you call it. And <laughs> um, good experience. I think John Lawler won that race. John is someone I know pretty pretty well now. He does a lot of video work for Syndicate and stuff. So it's a, oh, okay. it's a small mountain bike world, but I'm pretty sure he won that race. And I just kind of, yeah, myself and a couple of friends started from there, just liked bikes and just got into it slowly but surely from there, raced heaps. Didn't seem to learn much or improve much. And so I started kind of, studying the fitness side of things to help prepare myself better as a pretty young guy, went to university, did civil engineering, hated that because I secretly wanted to do sports science. <laughs> Dropped out of civil engineering, went and did a, uh, a degree in, in sports and exercise studies, I think it was called at the time. Okay. And uh, just kind of from there slowly kept racing and slowly kind of progressed to higher levels of racing, got somewhat better, but nowhere near good enough to make any sort of career out of it. And, Really, really enjoyed helping people, and I suppose a lot of people kept asking my advice. Well, oh, how do I do this? Because they knew I was really into the the study side of things and the the training side of things. So just from helping people for free, I slowly kind of just transitioned into into coaching. Went and studied at the UCI for about six months. Did their diploma mountain bike diploma course or their off road course, which is mountain bike BMX. 
and then before you know it just kind of steadily transitioned into into full-time coaching and now you work full-time with racers and riders don't you yeah full-time racers primarily i've, I've worked with a, a real eclectic mixed bag of of athletes riders racers over the years um all ages all categories amateur professional wannabe pro semi-pro never be pro <laughs> <laughs> um, I've worked at all sorts from masters right down to, to, to super young kind of youth riders, um, male, female, all of the above really. It's been it's been cool. Yeah, but at, currently at the moment in the last couple of years, the vast majority of my uh my clientele or the athletes I work with are professionals or, or people that have transitioned from being privateer to pro. Okay. As I'm coaching, which is which is always a real kind of satisfying thing to help them do, you know. I can imagine, yeah. So, what are um, who are some of the people that you're working with at the moment? If you can say, I know obviously you're working with Tani and Seagrate and uh, yes, well, MD because uh, Tani and her family used to live out here just near Morzine. So, I started working with with T and and uh, Chaos eventually, then as he got a bit older, yeah, um, because they lived just down the road from me basically. And um, so, still work with FMD, so so the whole the whole squad, uh, they're based back in the United Kingdom now. Um, we got Greg Callahan, his cousin Killian on the enduro side, Keelan Grant, who rides for Nukeproof. Yeah. And the, the CRC team, Greg Williamson, uh, Charlie Harrison, and Reese Wilson and Kate Edwards, who are those three guys are on Trek Factory Racing this year. So that's a big kind of a, a big a big team and a big squad of guys to have. And I suppose I ended up just coaching those guys organically, just a coincidence that they're all on the same team now. Okay, got you. Yeah, Thomas Estac, first full French speaking writer I'm working with at the moment, which is cool, coaching French full time. So you can practice your language there. <laughs> yeah, we can. Uh, Tom has got some interesting English, and I've got some good, interesting French. We've got, <laughs> we've got some good slang words going, and some anglais, anglais. Also, it's 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 actually it's real cool. He's a, he's a really relaxed, chill dude, but who wants to do really well because he's such a good writer. So that's been that's been super good as well. So yeah, I've got a real eclectic mixed bag of, of athletes at the moment too. I got Max Hartenstern. Okay. national champ so it's cool yep. working with the german kids so um i got a good a good mix you know between americans and and british riders irish riders germans frenchies it's it's cool at the moment it sounds like it so how well one question that i suppose comes to mind um and so i've my background i'm not sure if you know or not all the people that you know a lot of the people listening well i work with your everyday rider rather than being in the the training pros essentially my real passion is helping your everyday rider how when obviously you're training people to beat each other aren't you so if you're training two or three people on the same track how does that how does that work i suppose i'm only i'm training people to beat the clock not each other so that's a mountain bike is cool like that it's really 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 cool and there definitely is rivalries especially at the top end and within teams yeah. personalities don't gel or don't mix there's there is for sure rivalries the women's field especially and and certain people in the men's field um people feel they have secrets to keep and and, and top secret methods and whatever else uh, but by and large everyone's friendly at a minimum if not super friendly and just wants to learn and help each other and and yeah if you're working with different guys they'll just kind of strengths and weaknesses and help each other whether on the bike or off the bike it'll it'll always be a competition so the the competitive side of things shines through like instantly in anything we do from yeah. warm-ups to mobility exercises to how heavy how many plates are on the barbell to how many centimeters you got in a jump heights test to how many watts you put out on the on the power meter to all the little details it's definitely a competition but people kind of i suppose respect each other and respect the fact that at the, at the elite level the risk is ever present yeah uh, 
and every, everyone's in the same boat at the same level of risk and acceptance of risk. So by and large, everyone's pretty, pretty cool with each other and just wants to help each other. Which is amazing because there's not really many sports like if you look at say something like football like it's so secretive isn't it and like all the training mm. is kept private and I think it's great that it is so open and everyone kind of works together whilst also trying to beat each other. Yeah it's, it's cool for sure and there's way less the careers are longer than say motocross injuries are less severe there's there's less early specialization than a yeah. sport like motocross so I think you get you get better personalities you get better emotional development and you get a, a broader depth of talent. Uh, yeah and maybe this the support level is so important especially uh, whether downhill or enduro the support level is is so important to elite performance and by that i mean you know team structure and mechanic team managers who organizes the travel the food all of those details are real 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 important but it's a bit more of a level playing field than top of say formula one or motocross or something where the equipment matters so much more yeah got you yeah it's just down to who's the fittest who's the most skillful who's willing to work hard enough yeah, it's real. Like the different approaches to to training, to warm ups, to practice strategy, to the number of runs to do, how to split a track up, how they analyze sectors, sections, all of the details that go into like a, a World Cup or an EWS weekend, and you're looking at like 500 approaches that lead to a one percent or a two percent difference. Yeah, of so, <laughs> so maybe none of us actually know what we're doing. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose a lot of it is finding out we were kind of touching on it briefly just before we started recording but it's about finding what works best for the individual isn't it yeah and that's that's something I've got better at for sure the last few years with more experience and that's something that isn't as airy fairy as it sounds like oh what works for me that doesn't mean you can just throw throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks that's kind of you have a somewhat organized planned approach to throwing your stuff at the athlete yeah and you have an idea what's going to stick so basic kind of scientific process you have a, a bit of an idea what might work given what you know about the athlete and then as different things emerge and different things work and don't work then you can fine tune as you go so yeah it's kind of a holistic process with an under layer of science in there somewhere got you you're quiet i know it's on your instagram you're quite into your studying um, journals and scientific studies and all that kind of thing aren't you yeah, but on, on my side of it, you see me throwing them across the room because they're just because scientists have never coached anyone, so they don't have the slightest idea what they're talking about. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm very grateful for all the all the wild research people do. I, I totally agree. I think you've got to try and marry the two, haven't you? Um, yeah, no, you know, no. even you can with anything. I think even let's just say uh, protein shakes, for example. You can read ten studies that say protein shakes are amazing and you sh everyone should take them, or every athlete should take them. And then the other side of it, you can read a study that will say, nope, protein shakes are pointless. Just take real mm -hmm. food. And I think it's about sort of looking into both sides and then figuring out how the individual can benefit from it and what's best for each person. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've gotten, I suppose I've gotten real good at, the, or at least in my opinion, I don't know if it's true, <laughs> but I've, got, I've gotten good at re reading, say, a journal article or some sort of a piece of research, read it back to front usually, so start with the conclusion, go backwards, um, and dissecting the methods and the individuals involved in the study and stuff and the number of individuals and having, the, the hardest thing for me was statistics because I'm, I'm never going to be a statistician. Yeah, and knowing actually what a p-value is and knowing all of those what you know if there is actually worthwhile meaningful change and all of those things and that took me years to figure out so okay you know like a study can can claim a but then if you actually read it it claims b and c and not a so yeah <laughs> yeah you can't just take the headline you've got to really go deep into it like sadly yes <laughs> if anyone's 
<laughs> if anyone's listening to it and they want to go and read the style of studies that you read, where's best for them to look? Um, I'm not sure I can answer that question because I definitely don't pay for them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> where's best for them if some they want uns- to pay for them? <laughs> some unscrupulous means to, to acquire these things because actually they're super expensive. You're looking at like a single piece of research could be 45 or 50 euro. Right, so wow, which adds up. For a seven or eight page document, that's, that's primarily just fluff. Yeah. Um, there is loads of stuff out there now that, that's free access. Um, there's lo- there is loads and loads and loads of stuff. And there's, there's, some, there's a French guy called uh, Yann Lemur who does uh, infographics. So he takes studies and turns them into an infographic, and he does a really good job of actually getting the good information down there. Okay, where can people find him? He has, he's got an Instagram, Yann, Y-A-N-N, and Le Muir, so L-E, and then M-U-E-R. Right, okay, perfect. He draws the pictures, and it's it's cool, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I think breaking it down into so you don't, so people don't have, not many people, obviously when it's your full-time job, you can, me and you can go and spend the time on doing it, but for most people listening, they're not going to read full studies, so something like that is ideal. Yeah, real. It's real, real helpful. Even for me, and then it's it's cool for me actually to bridge the gap between yeah my understanding of it and then the athletes I coach. So I'd share it, or they'll share an infographic with me, and then we we we've got you know context that actually oh that would in your situation, given your discipline, given your strengths and weaknesses, that would would or would not work. So that's can you think of any? Uh, can you think of any specific studies that you've read recently? Do any do any spring to mind? Yeah, there was one. Um, only last night or there's been quite a few I probably have six or seven on the go at the moment that I'm trying to trying to get into and cross cross analyze and they lead me down rabbit holes where one would lead you to five more um, and yeah. was one on, on immunity so the like how often people got a upper respiratory tract illness so like a, a common cold or a sore throat um, and high protein diets so going like almost triple the recommended amount of protein in, in the human diet right and um, so three grams per kilogram of body mass. So going wow, that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. Uh, normally, like for athletes, you'd probably be at 1.8 to 2. So just looking at that in, in elite runners, I think it was, and how the guys on the super high-protein diet and the rest of the diet was controlled equally got way less sick. So there you go. And the idea being something to do with the protein being the most important of the essential nutrients Okay. And then the rest of the calories being available for immune processes and the immune system to use to help fight infection or whatever else. I, did, I haven't got fully through it yet, but really, really, yeah, interesting one for sure. I think especially, especially we're, we're gone off. I've gone off in this rabbit, the, the deepest rabbit hole in my life in terms of vibrations with uh, for mountain bikers, because uh, obviously the vibrations we experience in a mountain bike are way above what would be allowed in the workplace, for example. Okay. Ma- like like miles above like and, and we're in a different universe never mind a different postcode um to the amount of vibrations but because the bicycle allows you to use your joints ankle knee hip shoulders and everything else uh to hinge to bend to uh, to then allow the the connective tissue to absorb and damp the vibrations before it gets to the, the organs and the brain we're obviously doing a great job of actually the vibrations don't affect us but if you measure them at the handlebar or at the pedals um, or even at the shank of the, the shin or the knee, the vibrations are way above what's allowed in the workplace. So now we're going off down this thing, okay, we've got all these vibrations and we have all these impacts at races, especially like a track like Andorra or Val de Soli or racing a full EWS weekend, you're just getting pummeled. So we're going down the track of actually how much more protein do we need 
to to help the muscles you know regenerate and uh, rebuild after a massive week's racing or a, a long block of racing so there you go that's why that's was, really interesting that's why i was reading that paper <laughs> yeah i bet you read one and then you just end up going on to another and then on to another and like you say yeah. you just keep going down the rabbit hole yeah, i think particularly <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> i think particularly to a lot of people listening to this um most people, particularly your everyday rider, they won't get enough protein in the diet. So like 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight is a lot of protein for most people to eat. Like a lot of people won't even be getting one gram per kilogram. Yeah, um, a lot of people think they'll be absolutely fine. And there's so much can, so much news and stuff out there now with, with vegan diets, vegetarian diets, and, and mm. the environmental impact of meat and, and other kind of good sources of protein. So people are just constantly bombarded with information that's written by journalists who have absolutely no idea what they're talking about yeah yeah it's a minefield for a lot of people i think totally i agree um for those listening so an easy way to kind of put what chris has just said into practice let's say if you're aiming for 1.8 gram so that means 1.8 grams of protein per kilogram of your body weight so a really simple way if you weigh 100 kilograms you'd be aiming to get 180 grams of protein per day now to find out how much protein a certain food's got in it just look on the back of the packet or google it and you can see so let's say a 200 gram chicken breast will have 30 35 grams of protein say uh, it'll vary depending on where you get your chicken breast from and whatnot. So if you actually work it out, it's probably a lot more protein than most people are eating right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the ones I've, I've always experienced with with the athletes I've worked with at all levels, including the most elite of the elite and people who are already winning before they've ever, you know, darkened my door, yeah. is that protein gets backloaded. Protein's an evening time thing because people have time for lots of food or good food in the evenings, quality food in the evenings. So the protein just gets all backloaded, which, you know, it's just not, if you're, if you're trying to train to improve mountain biking, just for your general enjoyment, like as a, as a guy who heads out or a guy or a girl who heads out at the weekend, yeah. you know, not having protein or adequate sources of quality protein at breakfast, at snacks and at lunch is just, yeah, you're, you're, you're holding your kind of progress back for sure yeah of course so your opinion which is the same as mine actually is that you should be eating protein regularly through the day yeah for sure it's the king king macronutrient yeah so for those listening that's poached eggs that's exactly why we went down the <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've noticed your instagram story getting the perfect poached egg it make me hungry every time i see them <laughs> uh, that's all just that that all just started as a competition to make sure everyone got adequate protein at breakfast that's the only reason poach wars exists Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I've got enough knowledge on tap to condense. I don't know if I understand well enough to condense it into a, a bite-sized morsel for the listeners. To be honest, um, but our, basically, our body can't make its own. There you go. So you, you, have, you have essential fatty acids and essential amino acids, mm-hmm. um, on the fats and the pro- protein side of things, and our body can't make our own. Our body can make you know a certain amount of carbohydrate or sugars itself and a certain amount of ketone bodies itself which can fuel cells to keep us alive but as humans we need to eat a certain amount of of fats and a certain amount of proteins just to survive and then obviously if you're putting life stressors um training stressors riding bikes family kids generally just being a human being active and using your muscles and your connective tissue and all of our cells that that are covered in myelin sheets and everything else then you need adequate protein in the diet to help rebuild and repair all of those those cells and, and 
without that, you'll just kind of slowly but surely not feel particularly good and eventually get yourself into probably a pretty bad situation. Yeah, I agree. And I think especially with the amount of riding and training that people listening to this podcast probably do, it's so important to get enough protein just to help your your muscles recover and make sure that every workout yeah. and every ride that you're doing, you bought a protein in, in a word is kind of the, uh, and I'm sure you'll agree, is the building blocks of the body, isn't it? So you break down your muscle, you break down muscles, your system. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, exactly. We're just basically uh, the, the amalgamation of all of our cells together. That's what we are. So if you're not if cells aren't dying and you're not building new ones, you're just definitely not being the best human you can be, basically. Yeah, so get enough protein, people. <laughs> yeah. And especially like with, with the advent now of, of e-bikes, uh, with a lot of people being super keen on just, you know, enduro racing at the weekends for fun. Yeah. Or using, using the enduro, enduro racing, to, uh, day's practice and a day's racing to, to get out for the weekend with, with family and friends, whenever else, and the advent of e-bikes getting in extra hours in the afternoons and the evenings after work and stuff. Yeah. It, definitely diet will play an, an ever-increasing role in just being a happy healthy human you know yeah i completely agree completely agree and a really easy way to picture that is just how do you feel when you've gone four hours without eating like you get down in the dumps you've got no energy you're hungry like yeah it is so important i agree um you mentioned e-bikes there some of my sort of longer term listeners will be smiling at that because they'll know my views <laughs> which uh, i'm very positive for, for e-bikes i'm a massive supporter of them uh what are your views on e-bikes i uh... There's, there's loads of pluses, but I think at the moment as an industry, the mountain bike industry is is too focused, I think, on the profit they can make from e-bikes and not super, super focused on the added kind of economic and environmental impact. And that's my, that's my, that's my only qualm about it. You have yeah. to plug them into the wall. That's it. If you didn't have to plug them into the wall and use energy that could be used for other things, I'd be totally for it. But at okay. the moment, I'm kind of just like, oh, yeah, you have to plug that in. <laughs> Yeah, and that energy you're plugging it in has to come from somewhere, and that could be used for something else. Um, so that's the only one. I, I've ridden a few. I've not ridden enough to have a real good grasp of of their pluses and minuses, but they're getting a lot better. I know that for sure in terms of how they handle. And as some of the guys I coach that ride for companies that have e-bikes, they, they swear by them in terms of an occasional kind of change of scene and a lot of guys do recovery rides on them now so instead of doing an easy 45 minutes or an hour on their normal bike or a normal mountain bike they'll go out and do it on, on the e-bike on the e yeah which means get yeah. to see more and do more in, in that hour and still keep still keep you know the, the pedaling power in a range that's kind of beneficial for recovery so you're not killing the legs again of course you'll um i don't know if you remember that you're um a member of a lot of groups on Facebook, but or on whatever really. Always, what pops up whenever anybody mentions an e-bike, there'll be people popping up on the comments saying, "Oh, it's cheating! It's cheating! You're a cheat! If you're on an e-bike, you're a cheat." Um, what are your views on that? I don't know. I don't think so at all. Really, I, I think I think I honestly, agree. I've seen it around around uh, around Morrison here. We've got some we've got some steep hills, yeah. and even the road, the roads are quite steep. And one of the biggest limiting factors to people enjoying riding a bicycle on or off road around Morzine is they don't have the muscular strength to get up the climbs. Yeah. So even, even before the cardiovascular system struggles to supply adequate energy to make the muscles contract to push the pedals, the, the muscles themselves cannot produce enough force regularly enough to actually yeah. turn the cranks. So it, it's a real basic thing around here. If, for some people, older people, or people who've just really got into a kind of a, a lazy sedentary lifestyle as a bridge, as a bridge to getting into outdoor activities and yeah. stuff. E-bikes is the only one for some of them. Yeah. And that's and a great way to look at that thing. Like, I want to say like, oh, just don't be so lazy, hit the gym, 
you know, smash some squats, smash some kettlebells, and eventually you'll get there. But the eventually for some people is is too long, you know. Yeah, and you just said it yourself. You said then as a bridge, like it's not. Yeah. It doesn't. People can use them for whatever they want to use them, but I think me and you would both probably have the views that it's all about being a bridge. So you're right. Like if you currently don't have the strength and the fitness to be able to do the climbs and the descents and to go out for a decent ride an e-bike can be that great bridge so that whilst you're improving your fitness, whilst you're getting stronger, maybe while you're losing weight, if you need to lose weight, you can still be out riding on the e-bike and you can gradually turn down the resistance, turn down the assistance, sorry, and then gradually transfer onto a normal bike if you want to. Um, Exactly, yeah. yeah, There's there's a whole other, there's a lot, we've seen, we've come across a few people, we've been out here training, you know, myself and some of the people that coach, and we've got to the top of a pretty, what will be a, like a really technical, steep, gnarly, demanding trail, you know, proper EWS kind of spec training or World Cup training. And you'll find someone who's totally out of their depth and they've got to that point because of the e-bike. And now yeah. they need to turn around and come home. Yeah. And they're kind of like, uh, I actually don't know what I'm doing. I can't <laughs> so remember. That's, that's definitely something that needs to be addressed. But how you address that, I have no idea. So you're the second, this is episode 12, 13 of the podcast, depending on when it goes out, it'd be like the 12th, uh, 11th interview, this will be that I've done. And yeah. you're the second person to say that. I can't remember who the first one was, um, but that was, again, we were talking about e-bikes and the other guy was old for them. Um, and he said the only one thing that he's nervous about is that, is that it makes very difficult trails accessible to people who wouldn't normally be able to access them. Um, yeah. And yeah, that is just about education. And um, I think the longer they're around, the more that'll become... I know some of the, the mountain guides and the mountain rescue side of things here in the French Alps are genuinely, and I think it's that's the same across Swiss and Austrian Alps as well, they are genuinely worried because they've had a huge in- spikes in, in the peak summer periods of people just appearing in parts of the world they shouldn't be because they don't have yeah. the experience, the skills or the fitness to be there, but the e-bike has, has dragged them there. So that's easier addressed by... By it yeah. existing, then addressing it before it happens, type thing, you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Um, and I think as well, like one, th- they're they're a lot heavier, aren't they, than a normal bike? So where if you go get to the top of a hill on your carbon Santa Cruz Bronson, it's not that heavy to push back down the hill. Um, whereas with a twenty odd kilo e bike, it's going to be a struggle to push certain yeah. sections of trail you might normally be able to. And so I, I agree. There you go. Yeah. And and while while the the motor is going to help you assist the legs getting up steeper climbs that you're not going to get up on your own um the actual demands on on the total body the total system on the way down need to be thought yeah. about so it's definitely a double reason to get yourself into the gym yeah and that brings us perfectly onto that then so um let's start really really basic we'll both have the same views on this i can tell you in advance um but start, starting with the basics why should mountain bikers starting from the people we've just spoke about so those who are just getting into it and who are on e-bikes and who want to get stronger right up to the top level of racing and everything in between um i know the answer will be yes but do you think that those people should be weight training and why yeah definitely resistance training without a shadow of a doubt yeah uh, whether that's starting body weight using any implement you want from kettlebells to barbells to anything else uh, the answer is yes and the reason i think that there's the list of reasons is is too long because we can't stay on on the podcast that long i suppose actually maybe to give you a slightly different answer than you probably would have had in the past the the way i always like to look at it or if i need to step back when i'm writing a program and realize actually why I've got an athlete who races a bicycle and why I've got them in the gym to, to, to weight train, to resistance train, whatever you want to call it. 
sometimes I just like to step back and the way I look at it is that actually the kind of strength you need or the way to develop the strength you need to ride a bike at your best can't be overloaded enough, often enough, by actually doing your sport. Yeah. So you can't get strong enough off the, you, you can't get the loads into the muscles, into the tissues, into the structures in the body often enough by just riding your bike. Yeah. The range of the motion are slightly too small and the impacts and how we actually ride the bike is so fleeting. You have these little kind of tap, tap, tap between sections, between corners and between drop offs, jumps, whatever else that yeah. actually the best way to develop the strength, the power, the resilience and the general work capacity and the mobility and the flexibility and everything you need to be the best mountain biker you can be, the best way to do that is is in the gym. Yeah, I completely agree. And I make a point of asking pretty much everybody who comes on the podcast that's in any kind of area like that, the same question, which is that one. And the hope is that for people who aren't convinced yet or think they don't like the gym or think they shouldn't be lifting weights, I'm hoping that if you just say the same point over and over and over again from <laughs> different people in different ways, hopefully somebody listening will go, you know what, maybe it's time to, to join the gym or maybe it's time to start doing some bodyweight workouts at home or just to do some resistance training. Because as someone said last week, I think it was uh, Scott Pearson I was talking to last week, who's the cycling coach for, um, oh, he was the GB cycling coach, sorry. Um, and he said a good point, which was that, oh, what's the point I was going to say? It's gone from my head. It'll come back to me. We'll move on to the next question and then I'll probably end up interrupting you when it pops into my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with resistance training, um, what sort of, what are the best exercises in your opinion for mountain bikers? Um, I, at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm edging towards, we go individual specific before sports specific. Um, so we deal with the limitations of each rider in light of what the sport demands first before we get too deep into what the sport actually you know really really demands of the rider and because if you can't move adequately yourself doing even doing the moves in the gym that are you can overload to actually get better on your bike uh, you, won't, you won't be able to do them optimally without reduce without you know reducing your own mobility restrictions and asymmetries and all that sort of stuff yourself but yeah. invariably we'll always come back to some real basic stuff which is hinge patterning so stuff like deadlifts romanian deadlifts kettlebell swings all that sort of stuff hinge patterning lots of rowing because we live we live in a kind of a uh, yeah. i suppose a an internally rotated kind of hunched over computer phone car driven society yeah. and that's the elite of the elite right down to someone who's just started mountain biking so lots of rowing lots of pulling lots of barbell rows lots of dumbbell rows lots of trx rows lots of uh work specific work for the upper body kind of external rotator so the little shoulder muscles you maybe don't know you have yeah. so do loads of that and then your lunges your squats and uh, real basic compound movements like that once you know you've you've got control of your own body weight really yeah i agree completely how often do you think let's say you're think a typical everyday rider so somebody who rides two or three times a week they currently don't do any strength training um how often should those people lift weights or do resistance training and do those kind of exercises i think if you're riding two times a week and you, you have a, a good grasp or a good hold of your lifestyle management let's say you, you get you know decent sleep every night You've got a job that you've got control over stress-wise and everything else. And the life stressors aren't piling up on top of you regularly. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to be able to adapt. Then I'd say, you know, anywhere from three to four times a week, you could get away with it. You could, and you could probably benefit from in the beginning. If you've never strength trained before. 
That was the point. That was what that was what I was gonna say. <laughs> Go on, you, carry on. If you've if you've never done it before, then this the, the, you're gonna adapt to anything and everything. Yes, that was the point I was gonna yeah. make before. Um, and that's Scott said it last week. First six to the six to eighteen months, uh, the benefits you'll have will just make you delighted and astound you. And then once that yeah. eight one periods out of the way, or maybe two years is out of the way, you know, improvements will will come a little bit slower, but you'll regress pretty quick when you stop training. So you'll want to train because you realize how how good it makes you feel, even just day-to-day walking around. Yeah, you're totally right. You um, you hit the nail on the head, and that was the point I was going to make before. And that if you've been riding for five, six, seven plus years, the 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 improvements that you can get just from riding more or through riding harder are going to be quite small. They're going to be yeah. minor, like small changes. But if you start weight training in the gym, or if you start resistance training, you can see huge benefits or much much bigger benefits on the bike and in the gym because you're doing something completely different that your body's not used to. Yeah, I like that's variability and variation are are i suppose two of the principles of conditioning and they're kind of different sides of a similar coin but you know you need variety in your training just to to reduce to reduce monotony and to reduce the boredom because if if we have boredom because we're emotional beasts and animals as human beings boredom will kill improvements so yeah. if you're doing the same thing day in day out the the chances of improving just become less and less and less they diminish and diminish and diminish so yeah you, you nail on head in terms of variety and variation so doing something new or doing a different version of us of the same thing, you know, it will always lead to, to big improvements. And with with the, the top riders I coach, because it's your job, it, it becomes almost more important and more yeah. difficult to get, you know? Yeah, of course. And it's trying to keep those people, keep it varied for them, isn't it? Oh, huge. Yeah. And, you know, people that come to me and they'll, they'll make this assumption that I'm the guy, you know, in the corner of the gym or on the other end of the telephone or at the side of the track of the races or whatever that has this huge stick and just going to beat you and tell you what to do. And like, you know, you're my athlete and I'm the boss. And that's totally not how we, we do the relationship. I can imagine that. that. I could be wrong here, but I imagine that most of the people you coach don't really need that, do they? Because the pro riders for a reason, they've already got that motivation. They already have that discipline. Um, they probably don't need like beating with it's a stick, real. do they? It's real individual. Some people might need a little bit of stick in some directions, in some avenues of, of life, and training, and then and then they may need more carrot or just you know good quality, honest kind of relationship coaching, whatever you want to call it. You know, they just they just some some people. It's everyone's an individual, and that that shines through no matter what. And that's where the similarities are between you know, the best of the best and someone who's just started riding is that everyone's an individual and we're all, we're all human and we all have similar kind of strengths and weaknesses and ups and downs and everyone's just super individual. Yeah. And I think one thing that working with a coach helps with is that you've said it yourself, you'll naturally, you'll lean more towards the thing you enjoy. So people that enjoy the gym will naturally want to go to the gym more, but those people might hate stretching and they should stretch more. So I suppose part of being a coach is saying, right, you need to have your nutrition nailed, your sleep nailed, your recovery nailed. You mentioned work stress before, which isn't something that most bikers will think to ever even consider. Um, But it's all those areas you need to look at your life as a whole, don't you, rather than just nailing the gym or just nailing the bike yeah the, the the whole the whole package together it's it's one of the bigger ones when, when i'm doing coach education myself you know I've, I've done a bit for the uci in the past kind of educating other coaches and stuff and one of the big take-home points i always try and kind of give people is that the relationship between things 
is way more important than than trying to categorize things. So the analytical approach to to performance improvement is something that's people take as as a given. They're like, okay, it's science. So you break it down into its parts. You you improve the individual parts, and then it all just comes together at the end, all on its own, magic. And that's not that's not how I do things in terms of performance improvement, and that's not what works. And if if you're not acutely aware of the relationships between all the variables that go into your performance you know on the weekend just heading out on a sunday for a ride or your performance as a world cup downhiller and um, if you're not if you're not aware of those the acute and the long-term reactions between all the little variables then you're definitely missing a trick yeah definitely so what's something that people listening to this can do to just to get a little bit more awareness around those different variables so i suppose what are the in in a nutshell because i know there are hundreds but what are a few of the variables that are variables that are the most important and what could people do to just to check in really and see where they are in those areas hmm um i think some of the, the big the big linchpins the big cornerstones of performance regardless of who you are or the cornerstone of performance is health whether you whether you're trying to win you know an ews or work your way up into the top five ews from the top 25 or you're just trying to you know get to the top of a climb on a local loop a minute faster 30 seconds faster or you just want to not get dropped by the boys or the girls or whatever yeah regardless of your of your goals you know health is, is the cornerstone of performance so you know adequate sleep quality sleep and nutrition are two big areas for sure. And, and people will hear it, you know, day in, day out and kind of switch off because they hear it day in, day out. But yeah. simple things like you know, not, not using your telephone in bed, you know, yeah. telephone off half an hour before you go to sleep, um, not getting, you know, super, super, super wound up and stressed about stuff you don't have control over, getting your eight, nine hours a night of sleep if you can, uh, waking up in the morning, having a glass of water, having some eggs or whatever other source of protein that you like with your breakfast, having a quality lunch, you know, making sure you've, if you're going to go train in the evenings, if you're trying to improve your performance, make sure you've had a decent meal that has adequate carbohydrates in the hour, you know, or hour and a half before you start training. So you actually have the adequate energy to go and smash your training session. And just the real simple, simple things, whether you're a World Cup downhiller or, you know, Johnny Bravo heading out for a ride, this, the simple things matter, you know, exactly the same to both groups of people. Yeah. I totally agree. I agree completely. Um, so on to kind of the next uh, next question. One thing that I've got written down that I'd like to ask you. You did a video for, I think, was it the Fast Life, I think? And you talk about the six Ps. So yeah, what I've, are the six Ps? I think two years in a row, I think we did a quick, a quick filming session for the Fast Life crew, yeah. Yeah, great. So what are the, you talked about the six Ps, didn't you? Yeah, I don't know if I can say it. Are we allowed, are we allowed to curse in the podcast? Oh, yeah, you find out where I can plug it. <laughs> well, proper preparation prevents his poor performance. Oh, there Simple we go. As that. And, and I reckon we, we can sneak that one through. Yeah, so we, we've just made it We've made it a joke with, with some of the uh, some of the riders I coach. Greg Callahan in particular, I think, is where it probably started. And, you know, I, I drop a text the morning of a race or after a race or at the start of a pretty heavy training cycle or whatever it was. And I, I, the question would be, how many P's do you have? knowing there's six and that would just be a kind of a roundabout way of asking have you prepared correctly for the race for the training sessions for the week ahead you know and that could it could mean anything but between my because the relationships are quite tight between myself and the athletes it would probably mean a certain amount of specific things so preparation is you know is a huge area in performance and something we work on day in day out week in week out so it's just kind of it's turned into the six p's yeah how many p's do you have 
Yeah, I like it. That's good. <laughs> and it's a quite simple reminder for people to just to prepare, isn't it? Yeah, and that's like the real the real basic stuff. Like, you know, if you want to head out in the morning, get a ride in before work. Say if you're going to go ride before breakfast for half an hour, 45 minutes. The chances of you getting that done, uh, having not prepared your kit the night before or having not prepared the meal you're going to eat after the ride are pretty slim in comparison to if you have your kit lined out ready to go and you know you have a meal waiting for you prepared yeah. in the fridge or whatever like the, just the, the real simple preparation like that and th- that feeds back then to okay i know i've got those two things done and that session is going to be good because the weather is not too bad tomorrow so actually i'm going to go to bed half an hour earlier without my phone and all of a sudden if you're paying attention to the six p's all of your other um, choices and all of your other decisions in life kind of all of a sudden are matching your goals and when your decisions and your choices match your goals all of a sudden you've got yourself into a pretty good set of habits and if your habits become good then your behavior is winning behavior and before you know it you're making gains yeah definitely i think that's a great point what you just said about preparing it doesn't necessarily mean so like if you take that to the macro you've got a race in three months then you need to prepare properly properly for that but you mentioned right into the micro as well so if you're going to go do a interval session in the morning getting your bike ready to go getting your water out ready on the side or in the fridge like how many trainers and all your gym your training kit ready to go that is it's so it's a mental shift with that isn't it as well like it's if you get up at 6 a.m to train you don't want to start messing around with finding your equipment and then you can't find it and then you realize that your bike chain needs lubing or your psi is down or whatever it is if everything's ready to go it's just easier to get your head out get to get yourself up out of bed and get yourself doing it isn't it i've had to wake up the whole house just for a pair of socks numerous times so <laughs> i've only had the four p's not the six on numerous occasions <laughs> i like it but yeah it's, it's like a case of you have those big goals further down the line whether that whether that's you know I want to be EWS champion uh, or downhill World Cup winner or whatever it is and those big goals it's it's cool to write them down and and it's cool to voice them and say to someone I want to lose four kilos or I want to be able to complete an enduro race or a half marathon without it being super taxing so that's your big goal but those big goals you don't you don't have any control over that specific big goal itself the only thing you have control over is the processes and behaviors that bring you there yeah. and that's where that's where the six P's come out really. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Uh, I was scrolling through your Instagram before, just about an hour before we did this podcast, and there was a video that you did with MTB Beds, and you just said three words in it, but you didn't elaborate on them. And those Mm. words were process, diligence, and commitment. So talk to me about why you said those three and what the the importance is of them. I think the the question was something like, what's most important to performance or whatever, because we were doing... Uh, going to do an, EW, an EWS prep camp with the MTB Vades guys. Um, and yeah, I think process, diligence and commitment were kind of, if if your goals are, you know, to, to get around or to be somewhat competitive at an EWS, there are three things that are super, 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 ne- they're just necessary. Okay. Necessary. Yeah. And, and the process is kind of behind, you know, the, the six P's of preparation only kind of happen with, with good processes behind it. And that's, that's where it all comes back to. And the same with the commitment and the dedication. The commitment and the dedication are so much easier to, to find and keep if you've, you've got the processes dialed. You know, you've got a training plan to follow. You've, you know you're going to get eight to nine to maybe ten hours sleep a night. Or you know at least twice a week you can get a quality training session in. Yes. You know, the, the, other, the other days or the other nights whatever you know family life you want to go have four beers the kids are screaming any of those things you know at a minimum you know you're going to commit and dedicate yourself 
to doing the process right twice a week. And that will, will lead to some pretty big improvements for a lot of people, you know. I agree. And what about diligence? What do you mean by that? I think I suppose they're all just wrapped they're wrapped up in the in the same they're wrapped up in the same uh they're all part and parcel of the same thing. But I suppose diligence for me, the way I look at it is it's tied to commitment in that if you're not diligent to doing the processes and you're not diligent to actually giving something a long-term goal, you're, you're not going to see the improvements and you're not going to learn what you're capable of yourself. And I suppose there's this idea that the top pros are so much different than your average Joe. And I've worked with enough of both. And, or, and I most certainly get to observe, living in Morsi, and I get to observe your average rider, you know, they come out here on their, on their week-long holiday and everything else. Yeah. And I get to observe your average rider you know, very regularly, whether I go for laps at Revolution Bike Park, you know, with, with Tani or someone, or I'm out here riding a Morzine, or I'm at an EWS, or at a World Cup XE, or downhill, or whatever else, and sometimes, I you kind of just look back, and you go, actually, the differences, the differences aren't that much, they're not enormous, it's it's just belief in yourself, and kind of commitment to the process, and, and commitment to improving yourself is, is the only difference, you know, and people put limits on themselves and say, I'm not, I'm not capable of that. I can't do this. That's not for me. This isn't yes. for me. But actually, so they don't try. Yeah, they don't try. And if you do try and you do kind of commit yourself to small incremental improvements and steps, you'll be so surprised at what you're capable of. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people will just write it off before they even before they even try, won't they? So they'll yeah. say, right, I want to be able to, let's say with one of those hills in Morzine, to look at that hill that's 2,000, 3,000 feet, or the mountain, sorry, that they're going to climb, and they'll be like, yeah, I can't do that. I can't ride that in one go. So they just never bother trying. Whereas yeah. if you say, right, you know what? In six months, I reckon I'd like to be able to do that in one go. And then as soon as you just open up that possibility of maybe being able to do it, then you can start to think of the steps that you need to put in place. Whereas if you just make, not make an excuse, but if you just don't believe in yourself to start off with, you're never going to try. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Super simple. You know, if, if there's 12 hairpins that are leading up to the top of the hill here in Morzine, then there's absolutely no reason why you can't do four hairpins and turn around and yeah. go home. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no rules, you know? Yeah. The only, the only so rules true. we have are anti-doping rules. That's it. <laughs> that's it one week you can do four then the next week you can try and do five then the next week you can try and do six yeah. and just really break it down into such manageable yeah, eventually goals. you can get to the stage where you can time your four you can you yes. can aim for eight but you can time the first four and see where you improve and it is it is honestly it is it sounds it sounds irritating but it is that simple yeah 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 i agree people often look for the complicated but actually just the the simplest things are often all you need and you know with the, with some of the elite riders i work at people will be really surprised at where they do have limitations and and, and uh issues you know physically tactically mentally all, all of those things and, and the doubts the top guys and girls have and the inability you know to the inability to get into deep hip flexion that you know jane and john have you know an issue with is exactly the same for half of the top field of the world cup downhill you yeah know? And then and the World Cup downhillers just have to commit themselves to improving hip flexion or improving their, their lunge or improving their shoulder mobility, whatever it may be, you know. And uh, to I suppose a lot of people assume to have gotten to the top or the top level, everyone already has everything perfect. And that's most certainly not the case. You know, it's it's a case of constantly working at it. And so I think hopefully people can get some get some inspiration and motivation from the fact that actually hard work pays off no matter who I am. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that is a great point to end on. Um, is there anything else that, as a final point, you would like to... I think, I think that's a great one. Hard work pays off. Like That's a great point. Are there any other final points or anything that you would like to leave the audience with um, before, we, before we end the podcast? That, that's one that's popped up r- very often, very recently, with numerous writers I coach. Um, the, the, the power of, of the work, the power of hard work. And that, that, that doesn't mean it has to be, you know, crazy four hour CrossFit gym session where you're tearing yourself inside out. You know, hard, hard work doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, super difficult, but it needs to just be consistent and diligent. So you just need to commit to the process long term, you know? Yeah, I like it. That's a great so, way to end. And enjoy it. Enjoy the process. You know, if, if you enjoy mountain biking, don't make it something that you hate by making it a by making it something you must do or you have to do, you know, like you said, the variety and variation in, in everything in life is so, so important, you know, it's the spice of life, like everyone says. So, you know, hit the gym a couple of times a week, you know, if, if after six weeks that's getting a little bit stale, you know, you know, take a few days off, take, take a week off the gym, go ride your bike more often, whatever it takes to keep, keep you motivated and to keep you pushing on long term. Yeah. To keep that fire alive. Yeah. Big time. That's great. So I'm sure everyone who's listening to this podcast is going to want to go and follow you and learn a bit more about you and follow you on social. Where are the best places for you, for them to go? Um, I don't, I try to use Facebook more, but I really don't like Facebook for some reason. Okay. <laughs> They're probably listening to this. They'll probably shut me down. Uh, Instagram, for sure. You can definitely find me on Instagram. So it's just at point one athletic um, on Instagram. Uh, for the coaches or for people who are maybe a bit more scientifically minded or a bit more interested in some of the, the nitty gritty behind the processes that the athletes kind of go through, then Twitter is a good place for it. So I suppose engage a lot with other coaches and and scientists and stuff on Twitter. So they'll find me on there as well. Uh, Search for Point One Athletic and then otherwise Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, And I I have a website, but no one uses them anymore. (laughs) What's a website? website? (laughs) That's great. Uh, I will link up all those in the description as well. So if you are listening to this, if you don't need to try and search for them, just go and click the links in the description. Uh, But other than that, Chris, it's been really good chatting to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. It's been great to chat. Cheers. Thanks a lot, mate. See you soon. Hey, and welcome back. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Chris is a really, really interesting guy. To be honest, we could just end up talking for hours on end. He's got so much information. We'll probably end up doing another episode in future, I reckon. So look out for that. We'll probably do that in a few weeks or a few months' time. Um, If you do get a chance, the one thing I'd love you to do for listening to this podcast is just review it. So in whatever app you're using, leave it a review. If you're on Apple, just go to the iTunes store and see podcast app and review it, please. That would really mean a lot. Um, Be sure to subscribe as well on whatever app you're using and other than that i will see you next week for another episode of the mtb fitness podcast thanks so much